Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to Sensensa.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. Lynn Riley is an author, licensed professional counselor, and master energy therapist with a passion to educate you on how to understand and support yourself to live a connected life, a life filled with unexpected joy, a life meant to be. This podcast is made by Sensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to Sensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Let's jump over to Lynn Riley. So first, I want to welcome Lynn on the show today. I'm really happy to have you, and I really look forward to this discussion. So thank you for coming on the show, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I was thinking this morning how how timely this is, and that we're in such a place in the world of really connecting with our fear and seeing what it does to us and how it impacts all the different relationships in our lives. So I think this couldn't be more timely. Yeah, and actually, I just went for a run with my friend, and we had the the conversation, which which I find really interesting is that while fear obviously can be highly destructive, it can also to some extent be beneficial. And we talked about how um, it, and to some extent, had helped me become closer again with my ex-wife because we find collaboration often in crisis when we are fearful. We also tend to come together to to stick together, right? Um, yes, and it was absolutely. very interesting to see how both it can deteriorate our mental health because again isolation and feeling you know outside our window of tolerance and fearful can be really a drain on our mental health but it can also to some extent improve it if it brings us together where we find togetherness on common goals so this duality of fear is just really interesting I find it really truly is and I think and it runs very deep yeah and I think that's part of what I want to talk to today about as well because I really think you know we all experience fear and it can be so such a destructive force in many ways especially when we are not self-aware what's going on and we are just responsive to the fear so I think I want to talk to you a bit about you mentioned that you want to talk a bit about our core fear and I really think maybe we should start talking to people about why that even matters why should they even care about understanding their core fears um, is that something you could start with maybe just explaining a bit about? Sure, absolutely. I think it's really interesting when we slow down and start to look at our behaviors and the way that they play out in our interactions with people and how much of them are are fear-driven. And we don't necessarily know that. In fact, sometimes I'll talk to people and say, well, what's your fear around this? And they say, well, I don't feel any fear. So, well, sure you do. You're human, right? Yes, but I don't I don't really connect with fear. I'm like, okay. So it might be sometimes the terminology is uncomfortable because we might even use that word and say, well, that's a sign of weakness. And we don't want to share that. But if we look at some of the ways that we might avoid things or that we might distract ourselves, that's generally fear-based or fear-driven. And so when we have deeper level core fears, they oftentimes are driving our choices, the way we interact with people, the way we don't interact with people, and really just the the overall general well-being of ourselves and our relationships. Yeah, I like that. And also, I guess it makes it really difficult to be in touch with our own needs and also hear our partner if we are stuck in that place of being fearful, right? 
Absolutely. Especially when you don't see it. Mm. If you don't see it, you know, we can't really, we can't do anything about what we don't have awareness about. So when we have, we have to have, you know, change is a a two-part process, at least how I see it. We have to have awareness of what's going on if we're uncomfortable about something and something's really bringing us down consistently and taking out the joy or not at least bringing in joy. We have to be aware of what that is in order to be able to make some adjustments. And that's where the second part is, is action. We can't have action if we don't have the awareness of what it is that we're, that we're uncomfortable with. And without action, we just have really fantastic awareness that has a spinning in circles saying, oh, but I know this already, oh, but I know this already. Yeah, getting to that self-awareness is so critical. And I guess that kind of leads me into the second part of this question is, you know, what can we really do to get in touch with our fears? Because you're right, and, and some people might prefer a different terminology, because um, you're right, sometimes we don't maybe experience it as fear, we won't describe it, or there's a lot of shame around feeling fearful. I know, especially for men, you know, men are not supposed to admit that we are fearful, even though, of course, we are. Um, so what are ways that people maybe are able to actually get in touch with these fears as they're experiencing so they can get that self-awareness? Actually, I think if you just take the first fear that comes to your mind, take a simple fear. So if I'm, I'm talking to my, my daughter has a fear of elevators. And so I'll say, okay, well, you're afraid of the el- being in the elevator. What do you think is going to happen when you're in the elevator? She said, well, I could plunge to my death. I said, okay, so you're afraid of dying. She said, well, yes, I'm afraid of dying. I said, well, what is it about dying that you're afraid of? And she'll say, well, it's the uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen. So what about uncertainty makes you uncomfortable? I'm not in control of it. Exactly. So if we take a fear, a surface level fear and keep going down, asking a few more questions. Well, what about that makes you uncomfortable? What about that makes you uneasy? If we keep going down, we can find the root. We can find the core. Mm, I I like that. And also, I think just to add to that, because I think that's great to start that exploration into our fears and understanding them. And also what's so interesting is when we are stuck in a fearful response, we lose perspective, right? And I think a really good exercise that actually yesterday, my excellent therapist, he did with me was he said, just look around, just stop for a minute and just look around. And I started turning my head and just looked around the room. And he said, are there any dangers in here? Do you see any dangers? Is there anything that makes you feel scared? And I said, no. And that again just brought back into my body that there were no fears and and suddenly becoming, because we often lose that, right? And this is also, they say, in a strong fear response, we get tunnel vision. We literally lose perspective. We actually lose part of our visual spectrum. So even just being able to remember to look around and actually notice our surroundings and see if is anything fearful actually happening is there actually any dangers? And then we can tell our body again that actually, no, there is none. And that can be, I think, a really good way to come back and be present. Um, so, yeah, I think what, what I wanted to talk, because this is also obviously focused on relationship, this podcast. So I think, could you maybe talk a bit more about how fear actually impact the dynamics of relationships too, and not just for the individual, but also, I guess, in a couple dynamic? Mm-hmm. So when we have a a fear that keeps playing out in our behaviors, what will end up happening, especially in our intimate relationships, our our core desire, right, as humans is to love and be loved. 
So most of our behavior is driven towards those things to how can I love another person? How can I be loved? So the fear, if you have a fear of loss, of being hurt, of pain, when you're in a relationship, a lot of your behaviors will be driving towards the fear of not, of not losing something. Of not So if you gain love, you don't want to lose it. And then your behaviors will be driven towards whatever it takes to not lose that love. I need to do whatever it takes. Even if it means me losing myself to keep you, I will do that. And when we do that, we develop these patterns that get in the way of actually having the love we want because it ends up creating these walls of separation instead of intimacy, instead of closeness. We actually keep the love out instead of inviting it in. I really love that. That is such a powerful point, I think. And it brings me perfectly on to, to what I kind of actually wanted to start this podcast with that I, I've been exploring lately quite a bit myself, which is this balance. And you talk about the safety and how we lose ourselves because this balance between having safety versus feeling authentic and being able to actually express our needs in a relationship. And I think if we feel unsafe, it's very hard to express ourselves and be authentic, right? Because you're right, we'll latch on to try and not lose this thing that we love and the love that we feel we have. So I think we really need that safety first to regulate the nervous system before we can be fully authentic because I think safety trumps being authentic. We want to survive more than we want to thrive. And I don't know, what are your thoughts on that, like for couples to try and, and navigate that space so they can be authentic with each other through safety as well? Well, I think that the way that I see it is really learning how to, number one, start being honest with yourself. It's very difficult to be intimate with someone else if you're not intimate with yourself first. So where are the parts that you're uncomfortable with you? Where do you feel like your biggest fears lie in terms of giving yourself away? When you look at your patterns, let's say in relationships, where do you see where, okay, if I go down this road, I'm going to lose myself again. I'm going to do everything I can to steer myself in, in the opposite direction. Getting really, starting off with getting really clear with understanding yourself and seeing yourself and your needs for what they are. And once you're clear with yourself, then you can start sharing them with your partner. I notice when this happens, I feel this way. I feel scared because I'm afraid if I give this to you, then that will take this away from me and then I'll become resentful. And if that happens, we start to create a disconnect in the relationship and all the things that we built that we're building then start to crumble in their own small ways. I love that. And I think, It really brings it back because the two points I really heard you describe so well right here was one, self-awareness, that we need to first gain self-awareness. If we don't have that awareness about self, we can't express it and therefore can't connect through that with the other. And we also need vulnerability, right? Like you said, then be able to express that in a vulnerable way, which I think you did really well in, in how you described this. So it just seems those two are so core elements of being able to create that both the safety, but also connection, right? Yes, absolutely. And I, we I, are, that is what we are craving, that intimacy. But we are craving even the intimacy with ourselves, getting comfortable and cozy with ourselves. We're not really trained for that. You know, from early on, we're told the things that we should or shouldn't be doing. These are the things that you have to do to please your parents. These are the things you have to do to please your peers. 
where are we learning? These are the things that you do to please yourself. That is, I love that. I just want to let that linger because I think that is a beautiful question for listeners at home to ask themselves. What can you do to please yourself? What makes you feel good? And I think it would be great to to write that down, to learn what can we do to, to get in that space ourselves. Um, I really like that. And because you're right, we are not taught that. We are taught to constantly be focused on how to please other people, um, which is something I talk about actually in a podcast called The Pleaser Syndrome. Um, so I, I really love that you just brought that point to light. And I also think together with this, I guess it's part of people learning. Again, we talked about regulating their own nervous system. So to people out there who are, might not be aware, we have, you can say, the two different kinds. We have the, you know, the sympathetic nervous system, which is kind of our arousal when we feel excited, but it's also where we might feel fearful, um, anxiety. And then we have the other, the parasympathetic, where we feel relaxation. And it really is about getting that balance because too relaxed, it becomes what we categorize as depression, right? We can't get out of bed. We can't do anything. And too excited outside our tolerance, it becomes anxiety, fear. So understanding how to both make ourselves feel, I guess, more relaxed when we are too aroused and anxious and also make ourselves feel more aroused if we feel too relaxed and, and can't get going. Um, are there ways that, that people, do you have maybe some ideas for people of how they can help themselves regulate either if they feel anxious or fearful or if they maybe feel lack of motivation and, and can't get going? Yeah, I love what the the example that you talked about when, with your own therapist, and I think that's a really good one, is that practice of presence. Again, definitely not something that we're taught early on. It's you're always looking in the past and you're always looking in the future. You're always planning. You're in your head a lot, but very rarely in that current space. You know, as young children, we play outside, we feel the air, we enjoy the the, the feeling of the grass or of the pavement that we're on. But as we grow older, we lose touch of all of that. We don't experience play. We don't experience the moment as much any longer. So that practice of getting back into your body is a beautiful one, particularly when you're anxious and you start to notice that dysregulation, <clears throat> however your body might experience that. And that is using your senses in the moment. What are the things that I can currently taste? What can I currently see? What can I smell right now? What can I feel? All of those things are those very simple ways to bring us back into the present moment and see, oh, right now I am okay. Right now I am safe. It's okay to be here. I think that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful option. I certainly think meditation, mindfulness practices are wonderful because they are building up that muscle of attention to be in the present moment, to connect to your breath in the moment, to connect to your body. And the more that you practice, this is this is always something, an assignment that I, I give a lot of homework in my practice. And this is always a core homework assignment to be practiced is learning to sit still in your body for five minutes a day and building that muscle of attention and that muscle of awareness to be able to not just attach to your thoughts, but to observe them, to see them, to recognize that the actual there is a distance between your thoughts and you that you can start to see them instead of become them. The, that's another beautiful practice that becomes built over time, building that muscle. Mm, I really love that. Actually, one of my favorite books that I read to my, my kids is called Happy Panda. And 
it's this monkey who asks the panda why how come he's always happy and you know he asks what does panda do and panda says to the monkey he said what what do you do and he said you know i i work i eat i do my chores i play and panda said yeah but what are you thinking about when you do those things he said when i work i think about playing when i'm playing i think about resting etc etc and he said he and panda says so that is why he said i'm happy because when i play all i'm thinking about is playing when mm-hmm. i'm sleeping all i do is sleep when i work all i do is work and that brings home the point that you said because i think our mind of course is built for both being stuck and thinking about the past, you know, everything that happened to us, our different traumatic experiences that we project onto now, or we worry about the future, you know, even the sense of loss is a projection of what could happen in the future. Um, and once we bring it back to the present, we realize actually we are okay. We're actually fine right now. Everything is okay. Um, so yes. I, think, I just think that's a beautiful, I love that you do that with your clients because it's such an important practice when we start getting fearful it's very often because our mind either is stuck in the past or it's projecting into the future i'd like to add another one in there that's even a little more fun than the other two that i mentioned and that is actually going back to the basics of play like you were talking about with panda the simple connection to joy another one of the practices that i do personally and also always part of the homework that i assign is Make a list of things that you enjoy because when you're doing so, number one, even just thinking about doing things in joy, you're changing your brain chemistry, you're lifting your mood, you're giving yourself those feel-good chemicals. But when you engage in doing things that you enjoy, you do become part of the moment. You are into the feeling in your body in that elevation of mood. You're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the past. And it's fun which is a huge bonus. Yeah, I love it. That's a really good one. And I think, because uh, I do exactly what you're talking about now, I know if I feel very stressed, I feel that I'm losing my own regulation, I become fearful, I start dancing and I might put music on and dance in my living room. And again, the stress yes. because the stress response want to be released, right? It's meant to make you either run away or fight and neither are often a good option, but I can still move and the body wants to move. So I just start dancing. And I also notice what can help bring presence for me at least. And, you know, people can try that is that I notice certain part of my body will become tense when I'm stressed. For me, it's my stomach and my, my jaw muscles. So I will start just gently touching them. And that just brings me back to the present moment um, rather than get caught in my thought about, you know, whether I think I will lose this business or whatever, I might be, be stuck in my thought. Right. And right. That, that just brings me, and you're right, it's playful for me. Dancing is fun and the kids might join me for a dance and it become a joyful experience instead of a painful one. Yeah. And it's, it's simple. It's very accessible. It's free. And again, it's fun. Yeah. I think that's wonderful and it's a good way to frame that working with fear doesn't have to be painful all the time. We can also mm-hmm. actually make it enjoyable and part of it is that right to get back to a, a, a joyful place where we engage in things that soothe us and makes us feel good and that we're entitled right. to feel good because I think, and this is something I hear from a lot of people, but probably more women than men, is again this way that they've been brought up to feel that they should constantly make other people feel good, even at the expense of themselves. And I think often we forget this concept that we deserve to feel good. And actually only when we are in a good place 
can we really give authentically to another person, right? Otherwise, it becomes a drain if we are doing it out of obligation all the time. Correct. If we look at the things, if we look at when we do things because we should, whether it's in our partnership or if it's for work or whatever it is, even for our families, if we should, the energy around should, I should do this, is actually fear. Because if I'm doing it because I should, it's because I'm fearful of rejection or that I won't be good enough or that some sort of of not being good enough. Whereas when you do things because you want to, you're doing them generally out of reserves. It's more energy back into you as opposed to energy out for the fear from the should. I love that. And you know, I want to, I'm doing it from a place of love. I'm giving because I want to, if I do should, if I've got more energy out in the relationship than I have coming in, that's where resentment creeps in. And resentment, as I see it, is the kiss of death in relationships. It really is. What a wonderful point. I couldn't have said that better myself. And you know, I have a lot of women that come to me and, and talk about how they also lose sexual desire in their relationship and there's a lot of reasons for this but one of the first things i ask them is do you feel an obligation to have sex with your husband your partner and when they say yes i said okay let's start there because of course (laughs) you won't feel sexual desire if you feel there's an obligation so i think maybe the first thing we do is to take that obligation off the table what if you never had to have sex with him ever again and that just frees up that freedom for them to start actually feeling themselves rather than be stuck in what they have to do, right? And that's a space where then slowly you can start rediscovering that desire, but from a new place, because you're right, from obligation, it's impossible to to feel, you know, feel the desire, feel love, feel connected. It will do the opposite. It builds resentment. So I love that you brought up that point. Um, And it kind of takes me to the next question because... You know, we talk now we kind of talk about how do we feel into our own needs, which is very important and being able to express those. But it can be very confusing, I think, in the beginning when people do that to actually know what are my needs and what are needs put on me by my culture that I'm supposed to think I want, right? Is that something maybe you can touch upon a bit and talk about? Yeah, I think that it's such a great question because it does get very confusing. We do start off very young as being trained, truly conditioned what to think and how to feel. We do this. We don't do this. If we do this, we upset other people. If we don't do this, we upset other people. So again, that focus is outward instead of inward. It's about them. It's not about you. So we are raised unintentionally. Again, you know, all of our caretakers were all raised by people who had the same belief. It's been passed on from generation after generation but conditioned to believe that these are the things you're supposed to do to be a good human, to be a good partner, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good parent, friend, whatever that might be. So then we say, these are the expectations. These are my expectations because that's what they, that's what they said. Until you pause and ask yourself, does this feel good to me? So you might be living a certain way in this certain role And there's a lot of, again, there's that resentment. I've got more energy going into something because I should versus I want to. There's a real imbalance there. If you start to notice a lot of resentment in a role or 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 some prescribed um, part that you're playing, that's the key to ask, something's off here. Is this my need 
or is this someone else's need? Is this my desire or someone else's desire? Is this my expectation? Do I really believe this is the way that I'm supposed to be living? Or has someone told me this is the way I'm supposed to be living? Asking those questions are really, and just that feeling, connecting with your senses of this doesn't feel good. Our senses are a beautiful alert system to show us what works for us, what works for our energy, what works for our being, as opposed to what doesn't. Those are the indicators to help us start differentiating between what's ours and what's not. I love that. This is like such an important point, what you're just bringing up now. So I just want to enhance it and enlarge it on a big sign in front of my house because <laughs> you, you are so right when you said being able to sense. And we are so disembodied because we grow up learning just to think, you know, that's what's valued in our school system and our businesses in the thinking brain and not we don't learn to sense but you're right the wonderful thing about learning to sense and tune into our body is that it never lies and while the thinking can certainly trigger us and make us think that it's something we want when we've been told we should want that then the body really doesn't lie because you're right if we do something that is not our real need we will start feeling drained right it will yes. drain our energy while if we do something that is actually a need we will feel energized so while our thoughts can definitely deceive us your body will tell you you know, what is actually, and that's why I'm so happy you brought up that point to start being more, you know, embodied and, and feeling and sensing our body because it simply doesn't lie. And that's, again, we often say there's, you know, people say, oh, I don't feel good or it's a bad emotion. I don't think there are good or bad emotions because emotions really are just signaling, you know, signals to us that try and make yes. us aware of something. They are basically just telling us something. So if you feel fearful all the time, It means you need to pay attention to something. If you feel anger, it means that maybe you are being violated and you need to start paying attention to that and, mm -hmm. and stop that violation. So it's neither good or bad. And I think when we can learn to to instead listen to them and look at them and say, oh, this is what's happening. We also don't have to buy into the emotion, meaning we don't have to necessarily get angry. We can just say, oh, it's because I let my... And, and take responsibility, you know, and say it's because I let my partner overstep my boundaries and and you know kept making me you know do all the cooking for two years and actually that doesn't feel good and then instead of being angry when we express it we can say you know what i actually realized that it really doesn't feel good for me to be in the kitchen all the time and i want us to share and be a team um so i would love us to find a different distribution of how we do things together and that's a beautiful way of saying it yeah and this is why i love that you said becoming really present with our bodies and sensations and emotions because when when we do that then i think that's what we can distinguish so i just really wanted to make a big point because i love that you brought that up so thank you um i think that the thing that that i'm kind of sitting with here and maybe some of the listeners too is when we are stuck in our fear response and are afraid of either being judged because you're right we learn that certain behaviors and needs we shouldn't have you know we get judged for them or we feel rejected etc Maybe we expressed something to our parents and they said we were selfish, etc. How can we get out of this paralyzing fear sometimes so we actually can still express and don't have to live and suppress these needs in our partnerships? Again, I think that goes back to getting honest with yourself. So a lot of our fresh, I love when you talked about being angry towards someone else, right? Or angry towards usually it becomes towards someone else. We victimize ourselves very, very quickly. Again, we're taught that. 
the sort of this is right and this is wrong. And if you're not doing it right, then you're doing it wrong. And if someone's doing it to you, then they're wrong. So if you've been doing the cooking for two years and you're now angry and resentful towards your partner because they had you do the cooking for two years, as opposed to recognizing I chose to do the cooking for two years because that's what I thought I was supposed to do, but that doesn't feel right for me. Taking that responsibility, that awareness, that empowerment of, I actually have the ability to make another choice. That's really huge because then you can take that point of power and change what you're doing and go into a different direction. And you can do it together, united, as opposed to separately, I'm going to do this because I'm angry at you. No, we did this together and we can make a different choice together moving out of it. I like that. And it's also much more empowering, like you said, where we can take responsibility. And I think it's also, yeah, you're right. Often we want to project it outwards, our emotions to somebody else so we can make them the pitfall of it rather than take responsibility. And I think it was important to realize that if we have been violated, it takes two because it's often also that we haven't expressed our boundaries. And again, of course, saying this, this does not apply to abusive relationships if you're in an abusive relationship please seek professional help or you call the police so this i only talking about healthy relationships here where two people have good intentions for each other and don't want to violate each other in that instance we both need to take some responsibility for what has happened um, and that's yes. why i think it's good to just listen to the emotions without having to project them and we can even express it we can say you know i feel and have felt a lot of anger and I don't want to feel anger towards you. So we really need to, to find a way that we can do this better together. Right. And when you talked about that early, that early conditioning of this is the way it's supposed to be, that becomes our belief system. And then when we reject it, we're really actually rejecting the belief system, but then we transfer that we project that onto the other person. Well, you made me do this because we both bought into this belief system. Yeah. As we pause and slow down and let the anger move through us, because the anger is just an emotion. It's like you said, it's a, just a beautiful, annoying sometimes little communicator that alerts us to something's off here and something's imbalanced. Let's look at it. Let's sit down and feel it out so we can see how to rebalance it. So when we let the energy move through us, when we experience it, whether we write it all out on a piece of paper or scream in a pillow or, or some sort of way to let the energy move through us, then we're able to hear our true selves, that clarity underneath. And then we're able to go back to the situation and say, I was angry. Here's why I was angry. Let's work together to do this. This is the part where I know I can show up. How can we come together as a team and compromise on this? Yeah. That's wonderful. I like that. And also, I think it's so important that we all remember that our brain is a storytelling organ, meaning we make out stories and meaning from everything. And we make up those stories and that meaning based on our past experiences, meaning that it's important to remember that our interpretation of event is not the truth, because that leaves us open to actually hear our partner. And it means that, you know, we also can just be self-aware that, if, for example, I have been cooking for two years and I'm angry and I think my partner is selfish, 
that there's a big likelihood that all these stories I'm making up, which are based on mm-hmm. my stories, that maybe my partner isn't selfish at all. And it's really good to go out and try and fa- fact find and actually ask your partner rather than start accusing them and believing your story straight away. Just like my friend said yesterday, oh, I'm really upset with my partner because she knew I had a hard time and we spoke for two hours and she only asked about it at the end. That means she doesn't actually care. Look, she doesn't care. And I just made him aware. I hear that that's your story, that she doesn't care, but I just want you to be aware of that's your story. And I know you have a history of, of feeling left out and that people don't care about you. So I just want to make you aware it could be right now you're projecting that story and making meaning that is actually causing you pain and will cause conflict. But maybe remember that it's just a story. It might not be the truth. And that brought him back to think, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I should go check with her and just express to her that that didn't feel good to me. And I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be a much better way to engage. So I just think we should always be aware of this idea that we are storytelling creatures and we can't always, we shouldn't always believe our stories because that's all they are. Oh, we're masterful. We're beautifully brilliant and creative storytellers. And I love what you said. And right. And that, that piece, like you said, well, I'm so angry that they're so selfish. If we even look, go deeper and look inward, where's the fear is the fear. If, if I stop doing this, I'm afraid that they will think I am selfish Mm -hmm. So as protection, I'll put that selfishness on them and then I can protect me. Oh, that's a beautiful point. I really like that. Wonderful. Thank you for bringing that up. I think, oh yeah, that just really resonated with me. And I think one thing I want to ask you about, because I think, you know, hopefully this podcast has given people a really good understanding about looking into their own fears, being able to question themselves and get more self-awareness and communicating better. So I think, One thing maybe I would love to, I don't know if you have any exercises that people could use that they could actually sit down right now when they finish this podcast and start doing to try and get more in touch with their needs, their boundaries and their fears. Is there anything that you sometimes give your clients that maybe we could give the listeners out there today? Yes, that's a great question because I think that, again, we're trained to project out, right? And then when we project out, we become the victims. So if we look at that victim feeling, that victim feeling actually makes us feel very powerless. Our goal is to reinstate our reinstate, restore our power. So we're looking to see where is where does my power lie? If I look at where I'm uncomfortable, where I feel victimized, where I feel hurt or scared, we can look at our patterns. So what are the patterns in my behavior where I feel like a victim? If you just say, let's say for three days, track. Today, where did I give my power away? Where did I make a choice that I didn't really want to do, but I felt like I should do it? And then I felt hurt by it. Something as simple as that. And if you tracked for three days that pattern of this is where I sacrificed myself, this is where I abandoned myself, this is where I gave myself away, you'll start to see that it's actually your choice. It's actually your fear that's driving the decision under the guise of I'm doing this out of love. But in reality, you're doing it out of fear. So if you for three days track, this is where I this is what I did for someone else, this is what I did for someone else, this is what I did for someone else, this is what was done for me. This is what I did for myself and start to see the imbalance. 
you'll start to really have a good idea of where your boundaries are being crossed and also where your responsibility and power lies. Mm, That's a wonderful one. So that's, I think that's a great exercise for people to do after they finish this, this podcast to actually make this more practical. And I also feel journaling is really, really a powerful tool because it helps us become much more clear on our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, and also see where there's patterns. Because when there's patterns, it's more important we listen to them. If we have repeated frustration over something, we should take it seriously. If you just feel a bit frustrated one day over something random and it never pop up again, it might just have been a bad day. Um, So I feel journaling is so good. And I even said that to my partner because I noticed when she had sleep deprivation, um, she started lashing out far more and she obviously had a lower sense of tolerance, which is completely normal. But I said to her, rather than lash out at me every time you're sleep deprived and suddenly start, you know, disputing and thinking whether we are good for each other, I said, why don't you write down what's going on for you? And then you can look at that the day after and start processing yourself. And then you can come and share with me because by then you can both process it, get an overview calm yourself down before so it doesn't come out in anger which is difficult for me to hear and also it allows you the insight to see what is my part in this and what are my old wounds playing out and all this and what actually has to do with with this dynamic between me and Thomas and that I just find that and I do this myself you know I didn't just tell her to do it I do it myself and try to process before sharing with her and in that way we don't you know, just dump on each other. We don't, because often in relationships, people become each other's bins and they just dump the garbage on top of each other, which of course become toxic, rather than actually process a bit themselves and then come and share and say, you know what, I felt really triggered yesterday when X, Y, and Z happened when you turned up late. And I realized that I have a sensation throughout my life of not feeling valued. And therefore, when people show up late, it makes me really not feel valued. And it just really triggers my nervous system. And I feel angry um, because I want to feel valued. I want to feel important. So maybe, you know, next time you could at least just call me up and say I might be a bit late and I love you. I look forward to seeing you. And that will make me feel valued. And that's a very different way to express, right? When I've done my own processing and just coming saying, you were late. I'm so annoying. You're always late. I can't trust you. You know, you're always, and and that just shuts everybody down. Oh, absolutely. I love that. I love, I mean, I think journaling is phenomenal. I think that getting, writing out the emotions and seeing them for what they are is number one, a huge release to let the energy, the feeling, the emotion move through you to process it. And then to be able to see it in black and white or whatever ink color you use to see exactly what you're working with, having your feelings reflected right back to you. And then you're able to look at them from the outside, which often gives us more clarity. Yeah. So I think we've given people a few tools that they can go play with. I think my last question actually today is because we dealt a lot with fear. We're getting in touch with, I guess, our blocks and how to to unblock to be able to reach each other so I think the the last thing that I would love to just touch upon is how people can then I guess connect more deeply and have more emotional intimacy once they have started to have this self-awareness how can they then engage with each other because one thing is obviously I start understanding myself you know yourself better but how can we come together then and, and share that to have more intimacy do you have some ideas again there for what people can do Well, again, I think this goes back to starting with self. And you already said this, the self-awareness is 
the more cozy that you get with yourself and the more understanding you are of your triggers and your patterns and the things that light you up, so to speak, that you're more comfortable in your skin, it becomes easier. You become more confident, more assured of sharing that with someone else. So the more intimate, more comfortable that you are becoming intimate with yourself and accepting of yourself, then you become more comfortable sharing it with your partner. Because if I love me, I'm going to love me, whether you're angry with me or you disagree with me or, or you don't like what I have to say in this moment. I still love me and I'm still confident enough to share that and to be myself. Because really in our partnerships, whatever we are, those, the disconnect in ourselves becomes then translates into the disconnect in the partnership and the connection. So starting with that comfortableness and that intimacy with self and then bringing it to the table and saying, and, and even framing it of, this is how I feel. It's open for discussion. I'd love to hear how you feel. We may not see things the same, but we can certainly come together and compromise versus overcompromise. Yeah, and I think the beautiful part is to have a wonderful relationship, we don't have to see everything the same because we never will. And I think part of the beauty is actually accepting our different stories because it's kind of, I always say to people, part of a, a strong foundation for the relationship is to get a map of each other. So rather you can see it as a way of understanding your partner more deeply rather than necessarily having to agree. Agreeing is not always that important but having understanding and wanting to understand the other is important because that's where we connect. And I just find you're right with the self-awareness. We're able to be vulnerable and share that. And we could even say, you know, I feel a lot of shame. It's quite difficult for me to share this. So I really would appreciate if you can, you know, try and not be judgmental around this and then have a space where the other person can hear us without judging us. Because like you said, in the very beginning of this podcast, we all want to love and be loved and I believe that part of being loved is to be seen and accepted for what we yes. actually are and not what we think we have to be and sadly no no bad intention to any of our parents but hardly any of us have actually had this and I think there's nothing more intimate and connecting than somebody who are able to see us without judging us they don't have to give us everything they don't have to agree but just be with us and accept that part of us that can be so healing right Absolutely. That is the key. And you're right, because most of us have had, you know, in our early childhood where we may not have been seen, we, where we did not feel seen, we did not feel heard, and we're still craving it. And so that is a very common trigger of, you didn't hear me. Oftentimes we, we translate, if you don't hear me, then you, or, or I want you to hear me, which we say, I want you to understand me. And there's actually a little bit of a difference there. And that's important too for an expectation. Someone can hear you and may not necessarily agree with you. And that's okay, as you said. But you can still hear me and accept me and say, I hear you and I accept you. I may not agree with what you're saying, but I respect you regardless. That's what we're craving too. Yeah, and I think that's so important. And again, this is a big topic for another podcast. But even when people start 
expressing their sexual needs, I think a lot of people are afraid of even hearing it because they feel, again, an obligation to fulfill it. And I think actually it can be very intimate when there's a space where people can express their needs freely and the other person know there's absolutely no obligation to fulfill or do anything. But what is healing for the other person is to be accepted for having those needs, even if you're not going to do it. Just accept mm-hmm. that they have them. That in itself can be actually a very intimate experience. Definitely. Absolutely. So, and again, it starts with self. Mm-hmm. The more that we understand ourselves and accept ourselves, we don't have to love ourselves ideally all the time. I mean, that's the ideal, but it's not, it doesn't always happen. We equally angry at ourselves as we are at the world. But if we can respect ourselves to our core, that will always enhance our relationships because we become more comfortable and confident and brave enough to be our true selves so we can show up as that true partnership as well. Yeah, that's so wonderful. Lynn, what I really would love here um, at the end of the podcast is if you could tell people a bit more about how they can find you um, because people might have listened to this and think this is great and they want to hear more about you. Um, yeah, what what is your website and where can people kind of find more information about you? My website is the perfect place to find information about me and my website is livingwithserendipity.com. It's kind of a long word, but livingwithserendipity.com. And on there, I have the blogs that I write, podcasts that I've done myself, um, books that I've written that are on there. So all about my insights and the work that I do and share. Oh, perfect. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Lynn. So everybody, if you want to hear more about Lynn, go check out her website and we'll put the the link in the comments below as well so thank you so much for coming lynn and i hope one day i can join you on your podcast i hope you enjoyed the show today don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast also leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts if you want to learn the key skills to a safe intimate and passionate relationship then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar the link is in the description you'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down the how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast.